What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Raw Select Music. And this is the Super Sunny Show. I'm La Molly. This is Blue and Green Radio. Hello and welcome along to this month's edition of the Music for Modern Living Radio Show, right here on Blue and Green Radio. You're locked in with me, Nigel Gentry. Confessions of a curly mind. Blue and Green Radio. You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and Green Sessions. Ride the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Twisted Souls. You're listening to the Blue and Green Podcast. And I hope you enjoy what we are going to say. Blueandgreenradio.com Welcome friends, you're listening to another episode of the Blue in Green Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. My name's Imran, I'm your host, and uh, this uh, podcast series, as I'm sure you may very well know by now, runs in conjunction with Blue in Green Radio, which is a 21st century soul, jazz, funk, Latin and hip-hop uh, internet radio station. Uh, we broadcast from London and we host shows from across the whole world, which uh, we're really excited about. Um, you can find us uh, at www.blueingreenradio.com We'd love your company on our, I always refer to it as our ongoing adventures in soul music Because uh, it feels like that's what it is um, This podcast series, uh, we've hit a, a wonderful milestone uh, So we sort of have a particularly special episode uh, planned for you guys today so uh this we've just completed at the time you're hearing this we have just completed our first year and um i'm really excited about it uh we've released podcast episodes again to support our radio station on the first second and third mondays of every month and uh we've maintained that schedule which to me was the most important thing ever and um i've i've just i've had a blast i mean it would never be for me to say whether or not these have been good that's certainly not for me to say but I can definitely say that these have turned out exactly the way I had wanted them to um, they were initially started for giving me a chance to talk to and present to you um, the, these wonderful people that contribute their time and shows to our radio station exclusively for our station so um me, be, me doing this has given me the opportunity to talk to uh, Sean Sophia in Niigata, Japan from London um, Molly, uh, our very own La Molly from the Super Sonido show in Denver, Colorado uh, Rhonda from uh, San Jose, California Vahe from uh, Melbourne, Australia and uh, as well as a whole slew of other artists that we'll talk about in uh, our next episode because we're going to do one of these sort of best of these one well compilation episodes we're going to do that for the artists that we've spoken to and that will kick off january 2020 so that's going to be a really really cool episode but as i said primarily this podcast series was created so we could talk to these amazing people and presenters and that make up our team and um i've been really lucky to talk to a good bunch of them and uh, on several occasions as well um there are a few and i'm looking at you people with side eyes because i i desperately want to get the whole team on uh onto these things so um uh colin and i from twisted soul we, we've gone back and forth we've never been able to make it happen same with steve william from uk vibe and nigel gentry from uh, music for modern living um again uh, two are london based one's london based one's solihill uk based and the other one is canberra australia and these are you know i'm desperate to make this happen for for this year so um these are those three who we, who we haven't spoken about um 
they are oh, they are leaders of their fields they are they are pivotal to, to everything that we're trying to accomplish they are they're, they're genuine masters and they legitimize us in ways that I could never begin to explain to them uh, so it is going to be so important to me uh, to be able to get time with them but anyway when we do I'll be very very happy uh, but this episode obviously we're focusing on the people that we uh, have had the time and the fortune to uh, catch up with so uh, we're going to talk to uh, a few people today I- I've mentioned them already who will be addressing on this episode um, and it's a really su- it's a really incredible thing because I feel like there's an when when I, I knew what clips I wanted uh, when I thought back to the conversations I'd had and I thought oh well I've got to use this bit I've got to use this bit I've got to use this bit and there's a real strong element of identity that permeates through the clips that I've chosen and I'm not sure if that's a reflection on me or them or all of us <laughs> but there's just something about the, the the conversations the snippets of conversations that I'm going to put into the show today that I'm I just find incredibly important and 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 wonderful in their own way and I'm, I'm desperate to share them with anyone who has yet to hear them I'm confident that they'll they'll mean something to you as well so let's go to Vahe in Melbourne Australia first um, Vahe did the most amazing thing for us this year he put out a Dilla show uh, a part of his Confessions of a Curly Mind series which focuses on an artist and really delves into their back catalogue and I don't want to jump into too much of what we discuss I'm going to keep the entire Dilla portion of the conversation in place because we had a podcast um, to talk about the upcoming show that he had uh, so I should look up the number I'm trying to find the number so if you ever wanted to catch this in full, uh, ah, episode 22 of the Blue and Green podcast. So uh, Vahe created a 33 plus hour tribute to Della and they consisted of B-sides, remixes and unreleased tracks. A, a 33 plus show, this is not a mix. This was a show and there's lots of talking and lots of knowledge being bestowed. And uh, this was, you know, you give Vahe this kind of freedom and uh, this is, I always wanted this to be the Ellis Island of, of radio, <laughs> you know, it's it's complete freedom and it's, it, is, it is everything you want it to be and Vahe was someone who was always going to rewrite the rules of, of, of anything you would, you could set and I freaking love it and uh, so we had a podcast conversation to talk about this epic, epic show that he put out and um we're going to go to that we're going to keep that dealer portion as i say in complete uh in full right now and let's go straight to it uh ladies and gentlemen uh this is me talking to the brilliance and genius that is vahe and um and you've now worked on a show for jd slash diller slash james yancey and may i ask you mm-hmm. to to let everyone know on the the show length of of this episode of the confessions well, first of all, I'm an idiot, you know, because this is just, this is just not normal. It's it's not what normal people should be doing with their time. Um, they shouldn't be taking nine months to basically uh, to give birth to this child. And but I did. So yeah, it's um. So it took me it took me about nine months, and the final runtime on this show for JD Dilla. 
uh, is from memory exact amount was was thirty three hours, thirty thirty minutes and fifty eight seconds approximately. Give or take a few seconds. Oh my <laughs> but, yeah, oh. so it was supposed to be about Dilla Day at the end of the day, but I was shooting yeah. for 24. Obviously, you know, I just oh, constantly overshooting. Um, that's what she said. <laughs> I don't know if that works. Um, how does that work? Does that even work? <laughs> um, it's probably best not explored. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, that's. That's all we're dealing with. So, I, I, like I said, I'm I'm an idiot. I took too long. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to get this show out by February because that's Dilla month. You know what I mean? Like he was born and, and passed away in mm. February. Thought, what better time to do this? And I had I had time. Like I had at least a few months from the last show I did uh, to get it done by February. Uh, come February, and I've got about 500 tracks, and. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to whittle this down and it's going to be an awesome show. Probably like static length. You know, I aim for that about seven or eight hours mm. um, to be conservative. Um, and then every week that went by, I'm just like bashing my head against the wall. Like you have no idea how frustrating it was. I know we didn't communicate for months at a time because I just didn't have anything to say because I was just like so <laughs> flummoxed. I'm just sitting there going, okay, I'm doing this. I'm compiling it. And then as I'm compiling it, I'm researching credits. Oh, my God, more shit just happens to pop up I never heard about. Uh, more unreleased stuff, more, like, basement shit, um, which didn't get released on anything. A lot of rare remixes, rare stuff. I reckon even the most ardent Dilla fan has never heard yet. Um, even myself, who I consider a huge JD fan, his influence on me is massive. Um just personally in terms of just bedroom beat making and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, to come across some of the things I found that I put into this show, <laughs> I was just like, what the hell? And as a show, I finally, finally compiled it. And it's like about 700 and something tracks at the end of the day, 711, I think. Um, as I'm putting the show together, when I record my vocal bits, I look for instrumentals of the artist I'm covering just to put in the background, like it's background yeah. music. So there's always some music playing. And I actually mix it into the end of whatever song I played in the playlist. So it's kind of still flows, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, in the process of doing that, I <laughs> I uncovered even more like Dilla beats. And some of them were like some of the best shit I ever heard. I'm like, God damn you. <laughs> um, so I couldn't even use them. I'm like, oh my God, I so wanted to put this in, that in. I'm like, but... Dude, 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 just finish it. Just do it. And it took me like two whole days to record my vocal bits. And 33 hours later, I've got a massive Diller show that I'm super thankful that um, my man Imran here is super patient. (laughs) Uh, But this, this is basically content to make up for the last, well, for pretty much the entire year so far, (laughs) 2019, content sorted i do have more shows coming that are more regular size and i've already started working on the next one so um well hopefully this will serve us for a while yeah i mean well you you described yourself as an idiot i don't think that that's accurate i think you're a genius i think anyone that's heard an episode of confessions will attest to that and i think any dilla fan when they hear even an hour 
of what this show entails i think they're gonna think that you're a genius as well i think it's it's <laughs> insane it's that it's that level of detail though it's not just like you okay let's just let's just play every record that he's done you know or mm. released back to back and that there it is there's a show and this isn't like a series of mixes this is what where this is what makes you genius this isn't a series mm. of mixes that you've i know you've recorded things separately etc but it's still a it's a complete show i mean this has got to be like in the guinness book of records or something it's insane i don't like, know complete show. I think it's 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 up there and specifically with this show i did something i haven't done which i've been meaning to do is compile like actual interviews as well like just vocal like interview nuggets that i've spread across the entire length of the show to just get like a more of a first-hand experience and really make it an emotional tribute from fans because all you hear on the show is just like his his peers like all the artists you and i love who love him talking about him and how great he is and there's like millions of us out there who aren't you know didn't get the chance to hang with the guy to know him personally and you know be friends or even musicians and musical peers we had he had the similar impact on the, just the population who who listened to his shit who then got into beat making because of him, um, like yeah. myself. Like I wouldn't have touched Fruity Loops back in the, back in two thousand and one uh, if I hadn't heard a shit ton of Dilla uh, up to that point, like early JD era beats. And I got into beat making because of him. Um, and then you slowly start to learn he was behind some of your favorite artists' music growing up. Yeah, and then that starts to blow your mind a little bit. Um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of crazy, but it kind of felt right to do it this way, just to present this particular show. It's I'm like, it's going to be crazy long anyway. So why not cull together some really awesome interviews other people have done with him directly or have made tributes with other artists talking about him? I feel like it really frames the whole thing. Like it makes it a bit more personal, like a, like a, like a love letter from fans to him. Yeah, and super some cool. of the most painful I will mention though some of the most painful shit while making this was not including some of the really obvious stuff so while I do have a rare remix of Stakes is High that I don't think right. a lot of people have heard and it's a JD remix mm. I have not included the original album version in the, in the mix anywhere okay. other than in the as a background instrumental the same goes for Far Side's Drop as well um and a few other notables that are sort of absent because I was still trying to adhere to that whole concept of make it, you know, rare shit, make sure. it unheard stuff. It was really hard, man. Like, <laughs> oh my god, I felt Wait, so is- shit as well. I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I should have left him in. Uh, that, that's interesting because you're you're right. I mean, you do like a standard top ten of Dilla. Uh, I say well known, mm. but they're like a lot of people would go for, you know, I would, I love tribes stressed out. I love find a way. Uh, I love, um, uh, oh, once again, mm. once again, there you go. Once stressed again. out, find yeah. a way once again, running drop, you know, those are ones that a lot of people will instantly gravitate towards. I think climax is majorly overlooked as well from SV. Definitely. Uh, look a love. Um, and uh, those are the ones a lot of people would gravitate towards. So you're right in a way to leave those off because everyone knows them you go mm. to any best of they'll be there but then the the counter argument is hey idiot you've made a 33 hour <laughs> mix 
you might as well have just included those tracks as well. What what the hell? You know? <laughs> I'm like, no. It's like the small part of me was being stubborn and shit. I'm like, no, I'm going to stick to the freaking format as much as I can. This is Wait, artistic. This is artistic decision. Like, ah, shit. Yeah, I should have just left him in. Where, where does where does Dilla fandom? What do you call him? Actually, out of interest, I love asking people that question. Are you a Dilla guy or a JD guy? Um, I'm a JD guy. I'm a JD guy. How, that was his is my favorite era yeah. of his music, to be honest, as well. So I'm I'm a JD guy. But where does where does JD or Dilla mm. fandom for you kind of begin? What's the first time you end up you were you heard something and looked it up and thought, who's that? Well, it was very. I said it in the show, and I'm still not sure. It's, it's either a typical experience or it's atypical. I'm not sure which one. I think it's just typical. I've had a typical fan experience where I grew up listening to his stuff, but without knowing that he'd produced the music. Yeah. And I didn't really get a chance to, to read the credits and know who he was till I first heard Fantastic Volume 2 um, in 2000. A former friend of mine slipped me a copy in high school. Hmm. Um, and it was again, one of those clicky moments where I listened to it and my brain just wasn't ready for it for some reason. Like I heard half of it that I really loved and the other half I was kind of iffy on and slowly, slowly the style started to really stick to me in terms of the overall aesthetic and his like style of programming drums, not quantizing them, most, mostly playing them live on the pads. You know, you got different tempos. Uh, sometimes the beat and the bass are behind each other. They're not not everything's like clinically on the one. So you start to notice this funkiness in his production, and that's what really drew me initially. And then I read the credits. I'm like, oh, JD. So what else has JD done? Holy shit, he's done all the tribe shit that I used to love yeah. listening to growing <laughs> up. Um, from Beats, Rhymes, and Life onwards, like because that's I was pretty young. Like I was born in 84, so the first couple of Tribe albums weren't huge impacts in my life until Beats, mm. Rhymes, and Life came along. Yeah, um, too, yeah. Uh, Find A Way, then when Love Movement came out, and Find A Way was like, Find A Way was played a lot on TV here in Australia, All right. like on the music video shows. It was actually, I don't know, it must have been popular, and <laughs> that was everywhere, and I didn't know that was Dilla again. Uh, Fast Side, I knew about already... Um. Yeah, prior to that, it wasn't that. Uh, Dealer, yeah, the Dealer stuff, of course. Stakes is high. I'd heard that already. Um, and then after 2000, it was really kicked into overdrive. I went backwards and covered all the Dealer stuff or JD stuff I could find. And I really did start in the obscure pile, um, which is weird. I heard the hits and then I went back, did the research. I don't know if you remember this. I mentioned this in the show. There was a guy on that site. I think, I'm not sure if it was Kenny Fresh. Uh, mm-hmm, yeah. Somebody somebody ran a website called The Renaissance, and it was all about Detroit music at the time. Um, whole heap of focus on JD beats and tracks he'd done for local artists up to that point right. from the early 90s. And they were all hosted as real audio, real audio files. You know, remember real audio <laughs> Yeah. Um, real video, the real media player, like it was all RA files or RAM files and the really low quality. And it was all that stuff from like the D stuff he'd work with, like other, with other artists from Detroit, like um, that one little Indian track. I don't know if you heard that. Um, oh, that makes a sound. Uh, w- w- the remix. 
Yeah, he did a remix. And it's like one little Indian smoking in a tree. R I P P I N G. Yeah. Anyway, no, it's it's like he, different. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like it was all this like local production he'd done, and that's that's where I got fully exposed to his early JD style. Um, and then I swung back around to where he was heading from 2000 onwards. So the like water for chocolate came into my life as well at the same yeah. time. Um, the stuff he did with Mama's Gun. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, when I realized how much work he put into, like, Order for Chocolate, that blew my freaking mind. I didn't realize at the time, but when you read the credits, yeah, that was, like, his album, man. Yeah. Um, kind of went from there, and then he had a huge impact on me just in terms of beat making and my aesthetic for music approach. I, not classically trained, but I learned how to drum live by listening to early roots so do you want more mm-hmm. from bad do you want more onwards i used to practice the questo's beats dilla idolizes quest loves drumming uh and his and his production on, on on the drums when he produces them and he kind of takes cues from him he, he he speaks highly of him but then dilla's got his own drunk style which then quest love learned from him so <laughs> quest love like me I don't know. I'm kind of all over the place. I first did the beats. The beats made me go into live drumming. Live drumming made me want to learn how to drum like the beats that I was producing. <laughs> and they all had a similar aesthetic. They're all kind of almost sloppy in a way, not perfect, but they had that behind the beat funk that everyone does now. Mm. Every beat maker in the last 10, 15 years worth their salt, they're doing that Dilla style where it's like, you know, it's like, like it's not like just you know one two three four it's like one two three four uh, you know what i mean like it's like it's yeah, like yeah, stutter yeah. there's like a stutter to it so that's the major takeaway otherwise i'll keep talking for like an hour um <laughs> more than the major the major influence on me and just a ton of people out there who do anything with beats or live music now, because Questlove goes on about how it learning how to drum like Dilla, learning Dilla's style and techniques, he had to unlearn everything he'd learned up to that point to be able to drum like him, like how he would produce his beats. And he said it changed his entire approach to music, not just drumming, but to music in overall. And that's the ultimate impact that JD had on all of us. That whole JD, uh, Jay Dilla changed my life t-shirt, as like ubiquitous as as it's become, it is like a really good catch all statement because he really did affect people that that deeply. Um he really had something that had lasting impact and still does reverberates all the way up till modern beat makers now. Hop on SoundCloud, look at you know, the the most recent beat makers and producers and artists out there. They're all cribbing from Dilla's style. They they're all babies of J D. We are all we are all children of JD. You can just put it that way. It's a. I, I'm always kind of um, weirdly proud that he. Like I did. I, I'm. I was fairly late. I think I probably became a fan at like 2000, 2001, um, and that was yeah. sort of the point where I guess like Water for Chocolate. I think I bought that. I initially bought that because it had those those words that I love to see featuring d'angelo so that was on my buy a record <laughs> so that that got me into ghetto heaven and i was like oh my gosh like i'll buy that and um obviously you, you listen to the whole thing and you, you know production wise you're just like that's 
what's happening this is this is yeah. insane like aphrodisiac you know it was just it's just lush as hell yeah dude. and then yeah. yeah you listen to that and then you go back and then you kind of you look him up and um, I remember stumbling onto Fantastic Volume 2. I think I was looking for Jasmine Taz 3 in HMV in London. Mm-hmm. And they had Jasmine Taz 1 uh, in like in that group. And below it was Jasmine Taz 2. And I thought, oh, this is it. I'm going to finally get my hands on Jasmine Taz 3. But it was Fantastic Volume 2 that was sitting there. And I picked it up <laughs> and I looked at the back. And it, it had like a big sticker on the front. So I didn't see, like, I didn't know who Slum Village were. I looked at the back mm. and I'm like, who's on it? And it says featuring D'Angelo. And I thought, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Guru and D'Angelo. Brilliant. And it was like featuring- marketing people out there. If you need to sell anything to, to this guy, just slap featuring D'Angelo. Hey, buy a T-bone steak from the butcher this week. Half price featuring D'Angelo. And then D'Angelo's at the butcher going, hey. And he's like, you want to buy this T-bone? You know, yeah. Nestle Sorry, continue. milk featuring, <laughs> D'Angelo. featuring D'Angelo. I've never had condensed I milk. I don't does it taste? Does it taste condensed now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, that's got mark- marketability. Marketability? marketability yeah. yeah i love that impression Sorry. by the way that is excellent that is like the theme tune for, for these podcasts <laughs> oh good um, sorry continue yeah. man so on the back it had featuring d'angelo it had like uh, yep. featuring pete rock and i thought oh wicked that's excellent and i was like featuring buster rhymes that's a weird mm. one for a jasmine taz featuring corrupt this is a weird one for a jasmine has and i'm looking who is this and it was some village i didn't know him i bought him i bought the cd i saw the cd and then again it's jd and i got this i think after like mm. water for chocolate and then you're just doing the math and it's just like hang on this guy's done done everything you know like from the far side yeah. stuff the, the uma stuff that have been associated with tribe and that was kind of it for me it was just like he, that was when I became a real fan. So to see him go on for, I guess, only really a few short years afterward and the legacy that that his music mm. has gone on to leave, I was sort of happy to be on it. Not obviously at the beginning, like from the 90s, but to be, it wasn't yeah. a retroactive thing for me, you know? So I, I was always really proud of that in a weird way. But um, yeah, his music, it, yeah. it's everything you said about the impact that it had on people. And it's really um, like everyone comes to it uh, in their own way, I guess everyone came to him in their own time, in their own way. I guess obviously since he passed, there's the whole like posthumous fame thing that happens. You know, he, he just exponentially gets more coverage. You know, after he's passed, um, a lot more fans. You know, if you jump on YouTube and check any of the beats people post up of his, and then the comment section is just all, all like everyone speaking on them is talking like they're old Dillaheads, like they've been around yeah. since like <laughs> since he was a fucking since he was a zygote swimming around, <laughs> swimming in his daddy's nuts. You know, it's like they act like they act like ah oh, yeah, that's that Dilla one with the style and the thing. And I'm like, I bet most of you probably came in pretty late in the game, <laughs> but you know it's cool. Like it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because yeah. like as long as everyone's recognizing the legendariness which is the important thing and i guess the the really important thing i stressed in the in the podcast was um 
the fact that the there's a Jay Diller estate now that's actually got their shit together over the last few years. Right. And they've really if you check the, the actual discog discography of all the work that's been coming out from Slum Village and just like unreleased Diller stuff, it's insane. There's so much officially released stuff coming out in the last three years alone. Mm. Like beats, 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 all unreleased Slum Village stuff. Um and it's all Diller estate, like you can see who's running it now. It's all going back to Marduk's and the family. Um, so that's like one good thing is that there's all this material. We're going to keep getting all, the, all this awesome material. We're going to buy it and we can support and know it's going to go directly to them um, and just support his you know, family pretty much. I think you've sort of just said it, but I was curious actually to ask you, and now you mentioned it about how you, how do you feel as a fan about posthumous material from, from artists, you know, in terms of, you know, if it, it should have, you know, if people didn't want if he didn't want it out, then people shouldn't really. It should, people should have sort of respected those wishes, you know. And I'm I'm kind of the same about Prince. Mm. I'm a like insane Prince fan, and obviously, oh yeah, he he. I think I I think it's fairly conclusive to know that, it, it, you know, if he wanted it heard, he would have released it. And I think he was such a oh. control freak on his music. It's, if there's it, anyone, yes, who falls into that category, it's, it's definitely <laughs> him. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. I kind of feel um, that pull it a little bit as a fan because if I'm a real fan, I wouldn't buy it. But come on, hmm. man! Like that four disc uh, Purple Rain that they re-released uh, a couple of years ago. <laughs> what? I'm not buying that. Are you yeah. serious? So it's yeah. how, how do and you the kind originals of feel? that just came out? Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, how as a fan, how um, do you do? You kind of feel like, oh, I should, you know this wasn't supposed to be heard because it's, it's any artist, mm. isn't it? In terms of if it's not finished, you don't want it out. Yeah. And if it's not good, you'd rather people didn't associate your name to it. You know, I think mo- uh, look, I just as conceptually, I agree. Like I, I don't really like the posthumous releases because obviously the artist isn't there to, to make any decisions based on their work or have any input as to how it's released or even if it's released. So it's other people making the decisions, whether it's family or if it's just, you know, dudes in suits trying to make extra money. Usually it's the it's the latter. They're just trying to, you know, make as much coin out of you, living or dead. That's kind of the name of the game at the end of the day. I mean, you're talking to a massive Aaliyah fan, lifelong yes, Aaliyah fan. So yeah. I know exactly how that feels. Um, but uh, in this circumstance, that I, when I was doing the research, specifically with Dilla, there's plenty of um, plenty of interviews to suggest that he had already started making plans for people to have this or have that, or he gave his blessing to certain people to to release this, or he um, he actually set aside a full, well, not fully completed but fully workable demo albums for Slum Village. He actually had them in storage, oh, wow. um, and he got Young RJ, who's the son of RJ Rice, yeah. uh, Young RJ, who's currently a member of Slum Village. Um, before he passed, he gave he told Young RJ, "Look, there's a storage locker. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. I want you to go there and you know um, retrieve it. There's a whole bunch of things there, labeled, clearly labeled that they can use or release. And that's what they've been releasing lately is just this very recently rediscovered stuff that Dilla left for them specifically. That's amazing um, to be released, but not every single thing was like that because they've released a whole bunch of beat tape type releases where it's just his beats." Um, like a minute, two minute length beats, which I don't think he may have. I don't know if he gave blessings for those because I don't know. It's hard to tell because they're just beats, you know. Like, um, it's cool to have them, 
and it's cool that they're getting released. But that one I might feel a bit iffy about because I don't know personally if he gave like his okay to say, yeah, just release whatever you want. Um, it's hard to say because yeah. I reckon as artists, if you know anything how artists can be, um, I don't think a lot of them plan ahead unless you're like a prince or you got a, or you're Stevie, like Stevie's vault would be incredible. And he's got contingencies for his vault as well, apparently. If he passes away, the specific requests he has in place on how to handle the vault. Right. right? So I think some people, most artists wouldn't because they're just like that. Um, but I think if you if you think your stuff is going to be valued after your past, you'd make those, uh, you make those plans um, on how it's going to be handled before, before things even get tragic. But with Dilla, he saw the writing on the wall like years in advance. Um, He knew his health was declining. He knew it wasn't getting better. He was actually just getting worse. And he just confronted that shit at some point from all the interviews as well. He just seemed to just accept it confronted head on and then he made donuts which was like yeah. how how shoes talks about this right that shit is freaky and haunting because of not just because of his skill with chopping samples right and how he composed recomposed them all um which we can talk about a little bit if you want but yeah, absolutely. the main thing which i kind of felt immediately when i first bought the vinyl um and still, when I listen to it to this day, if you try to keep your ears peeled for all the vocal samples he uses, where he's taking random words out of context and reassembling them to say other things, and like how she says, and like oh, what I picked up on was they're all very dark and they're all very foreboding. They talk about death um, and things of that nature. Like they're very, it was almost like a, a goodbye letter. Like he weaved this goodbye letter through samples and vocal samples because at that time apparently he was so sick he could he couldn't even communicate verbally half the time um yeah so he was making that to communicate and that's how he chose to communicate it was like a just a goodbye um to to i guess to everyone at the end of the day yeah wow no, I hadn't. Oh, I didn't. No, I didn't know that. I know there is a lot. There is a lot of history about mm. how that album was put together and stuff. But I've yet to to really explore a lot of it. Yeah, it's, there's like the yeah. surface story. But then you drill a bit deeper, and it's it's a little more than just he was on his deathbed making beats. Like it gets a little deeper than that. But I guess that's the nutshell version. Um, but in terms of that. Those kind of releases and things he had planned for, I don't have a problem with. But in general, I'd probably agree with you guys. I'm never really a huge fan of what comes after when an artist has pretty much stopped being able to give their, their say in how it gets released or what gets released. Yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm sort of yeah. sitting on the both, on the fence for both in a way, in terms of as long as people just accept it for what it is, you know, I, I kind of mm. mentally, there's a line in terms of what constitutes material that i would associate with him and what doesn't yeah. you know but um i'll yeah, tell you no, what though if they just put if they just put featuring featuring d'angelo <laughs> on it i'm sure people would buy that shit up that's, that's, that's all we need to do people and actually on that note i'm always a bit disappointed that they didn't do more together to be honest 
like I would have thought he'd be all oh. over voodoo because yeah. like, every time I'd read anything on voodoo, they'd always say, oh, it's so inspired <laughs> by Dylan. It's like, well, why didn't you do anything with him then? Like it was all in that whole I... Soquarian session of uh, mama's gone, things fall apart, like water for chocolate. And it's like, well, why didn't you just talk about why why relegate him to an inspiration as opposed to a collaborator? Yeah, I literally said the same thing in vain in the show. Halfway through the show, I was just like, you know what? This is actually bugging me that out of all those, like, out of that golden Solquarian era of run of albums from, say, 99, 2000, 2001, and Voodoo was such a game changer. And years after the fact, they kind of downplayed his involvement in the beginning. They didn't really talk about him being that hands-on but he was apparently really hands-on man he was there he was there for the sessions he jammed with them and he he definitely inspired them overall because the the entire sound of voodoo and the aesthetic of voodoo and the way they constructed it with the drum with the drunken drumming and the sloppy drums and purposely playing shit off time all came from dilla so that entire album, as far as I'm concerned, it's been completely recontextualized after I've put this show together. I'm like, holy shit, man. I just add that to his list of achievements. Why don't yeah. you? Like, voodoo. Like, these days, in the recent interviews from Red Bull Music Academy and other, like, uh, interviews Quest has given on the subject, he's pretty much given almost all the uh, all the inspiration to, to the entire voodoo project to JD. Um. And it boggles the mind. Like, why didn't he actually get a production credit? I know. Why didn't he actually collab properly collaborate on the on Wax and have his name on there? Like, why? What What would stop you from doing that? Um, it's, that was the, that was a head scratcher. Like, listen to Chicken Grease, man. Listen to freaking um the way that Player Player is programmed. It's like the the most you could say is okay. D'Angelo already had that kind of style on his first album when he was programmed the drums on Brown Sugar or whatever production he did on that album, he had a similar aesthetic in terms of his, there was like a similar stutter to his style as well. Like he had a similar swag to JD, Mm. but his style didn't really morph into the voodoo style until both him and Quest and then James Poyser and Pino Palladino, all these cats, great musicians in their own right. All of them worship at the altar of JD. Yeah. And that that voodoo album, man, that is I'm I'm forever more from this day forward counting it as one of his production <laughs> credits because he technically apparently the closest he got to production was um, uncredited production work on Feel Like Making Love the the cover that they did yeah um, on that album so I included that track from Voodoo in the mix because that's the was sort of unofficially confirmed by Quest at one point that he did uncredited production work on that track and then there was an unreleased beat that they didn't use called jd marvin yeah right so that was just from one of his beat tapes though so that's not really i don't know it was really then done yeah i didn't know if that was supposed to be oh here's a beat use it as something to build on or i didn't ever understand it didn't fit with anything i wasn't really sure what you know when that initially came out yeah, it could have been an interlude, maybe. You know, like he did mm-hmm. interludes on like what of a chocolate, yeah. possibly because they didn't do. There was nothing else in that demo. It was straight from his beat tape because I found the same beat on one of his old beat tapes. So they didn't really do anything with it. Right. Um. So yeah, that that was it was weird, right? It's weird yeah. that he wasn't on there. Yeah. I suppose James Poise is another one who he's really only credited on Chicken Grease, if I remember correctly, and he's another one that I again very surprised. 
with a very you know at least he, at least he got his name in the, in the credits but um i definitely would have thought poiser would have been way more involved in voodoo than he apparently was but you're right jd considering the i mean poison wasn't mentioned as anything uh the only reason chicken grease seems to have been included is because that was supposed to be uh something for uh chocolate and i think d'angelo yeah. and went what's like no i need that and that seems to be the only reason yeah. poiser was included but it just seems weird that you know if it's like oh prince is my hero prince is my hero and prince says hey do you want to do something <laughs> no no it's okay I'll, I'll prefer just to keep a picture of you in the studio i don't want to work with you no <laughs> it's like why that doesn't make any sense <laughs> and it's like he was right there yeah, like yeah. it just doesn't make sense but yeah oh well so what oh, will well. be to, to sort of wrap up what <laughs> i don't want to impose on your closing song which is a perfect choice and probably would have been my choice for opening song but without imposing on that right. what are like a handful of your just absolute favorite dealer tracks oh my god uh, <laughs> um I, i've got a spare 30 hours um, i don't mind <laughs> oh, yeah okay look i'll some of the ones that come to mind like you like you said we're both say from the jd era like say mm. 90s sort of era that we sort of really love his, his work from that era i love i love all of his dealer shit too don't get me wrong like i love yeah. all of his stuff um but one that really sticks out as being extra musical is the um the dear davenport song bullshitting oh wow nice um yeah, it's super freaking jazzy and laid back. I think it's gotten it's gotten Adia's band uh, playing on the tracks, like playing the horns and stuff. But it's so clearly a JD beat, and the bass line is programmed by him, and it's so super like. And the keys on that, everything on that track is just so smoky and laid back, man. I love everything about that track. Mm. Um, that definitely comes to mind. Um, there's a bunch of stuff he did with Proof. Uh, they had a group called the Funky Cowboys, right? Um, in the early '90s, and a whole bunch of really early JD stuff. Wow. He produced uh, actually all the early shit because he had different periods. He had periods producing under the name John Doe. Uh, he produced under the name Jay Dharma, which is like a, an allusion to Jeffrey Dharma. I think he's one of like an American serial killer. <laughs> um, he also, yeah, that's that's a bit of an intense one. Jay Dharma. Um, he also went under the name. God, he was part of a group called Ghost Town, um, and also FC, which was Funky Cowboys. There's so much old shit that I've fallen in love with while what I've been researching the show. But yeah, bullshit noise comes to mind. Um, find a way, just because I, I I played the shit out of that song when it first came out, not yeah. knowing it was him. But I just love that song. Um, honestly you've asked a really tough question man but yeah. think twice is up there i'll segue into think twice because that's yes, probably go ahead yeah perfect, it's a perfect, perfect place pick. to go into it i mean like i told you in the email i could have gone obscure and real uh you know artsy fartsy with my choice and be like oh this this track came out in 1993 in uh t3's dats collection that was the Recently rediscovered after a flood and restored <laughs> chemically and digitally and spiritually or some shit like that. You know what I mean? Like nothing, nothing fancy. It's purely, <laughs> purely, um, very obvious choice. Think twice because first of all, it's just so well made. Um, yeah. first of all, he didn't, you at the time, I think he did it 
from the interviews and shit that I research I did, he did it just to show that he could do it and that he had the freedom from the BBE label to yep. say, hey, man, go ahead and make whatever you want, no restrictions, whatever's on your mind, go ahead and do it. So he's like, I love, he loved that song. He wanted to tribute it, recreate it in his style, but make it sound like a, an old 45. But he did. It's and a completely main... brilliant reworking of that song. It's nothing like the original. It's a genius revert reworking. Totally. And the, he's pretty much, um, so here's the misconception about this song. And I'll talk about the two versions of it as well. Um, so first of all, the misconception is everyone thinks that, okay, it says Think Twice featuring Duelle, mm-hmm. right? So it's got Duelle on, on the song. To your knowledge, who's who's singing the vocals on that track? I always thought it was JD. Well, they, you're spot on because it was uh-huh. JD. But a million and one people think, well, yeah, that sounds like Duelle. It says featuring Duelle. We're going to go ahead and say that's Duelle on the vocals. And yeah. I was cool with that. I was one of those people. I'm like, yeah, yeah, pretty much sounds like him and maybe like a more like low-key version, but definitely sounds a little like him nah so Dwelle played keys he played bass uh he played the trumpet Dwelle's brother Antoine played the trombone on the track so they did the horn section um Dilla obviously I'm pretty sure he played the drums sampled himself and then programmed them um because the all the drums sound live I'm sure he probably just he does he probably did what I did and sampled his own kit and then just reprogrammed the shit live to make it sound live. Um, and then he did the vocals. So Dwelly tells the story towards the very end of the show. Dwelly tells the story about how they're in the booth. Uh, he's saying how people think he sang the vocals. He's like, nah, he's like, nah, Dilla got in the booth, man. It's the craziest thing. Like, he's like, he's like, he's never seen anyone recut a vocal while smoking a joint at the same time. <laughs> So Dylan's like, oh, yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready, let's go, let's go. So he gets in there and the song starts and he's lighting up his joint. He takes his first puff and he goes, oh. And then he goes, uh, he goes into the first verse. Lady, we ought to think twice. Oh, before we start something nice. And he's like, he's smoking through the whole thing. And Dwale is like getting his mind blown, like, how the, how the fuck is he doing this? Like, I, I can't even smoke a joint and talk. Like, let alone <laughs> this guy's this guy's puffing his brains out in the booth and he's cut, he's cutting the vocals and you can't tell, like, when, you, when you're hearing it. Maybe, I think when you get to the, about the bit where he goes, no need to sacrifice the spies in our lives, he starts to sort of waver yes. a bit. Yes, <laughs> You know, oh like, you kind of dip. Yeah. Like the volume kind of dips almost as well. Like he's moving away. There, I think maybe he was maybe going for a breath. Right. Maybe. <laughs> um, but I just, I got fell in love with the track all over again. I'm like, man, that's just so cool. That's just a, a story you would want to hear from a legend who just did shit on the fly, who did it from his heart and his gut and his soul and was able to do it most yeah. of the time ripping, ripping a joint. So <laughs> my, my hero, man. And yeah. credit to him for and not saying Duelle, you sing it. Do you know what I mean? Because I always like JD singing again, or like <laughs> yeah. aphrodisiac. But to have to be in a room with Duelle, like it <laughs> takes like, a, a certain bit of shit. balls, doesn't it? To, to say I'll sing it, and Duelle's yeah. like, "No, dude, I can do it. I'm pretty good." <laughs> and he's like, "No, I'll do it. I'm okay." <laughs> you know, that's, his that's stature the- was such 
that yeah. you would just be like, okay, be like, you know what? I'm fine with that. Did you, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Yeah. James. But, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But can you, I mean, the only thing that could have made that better is if it was think twice featuring D'Angelo. Mm. I mean, Oh my gosh. Featuring D'Angelo be killing it. Before we finish that off, I, there is the instrumental version of the track, right? If you get welcome to Detroit, the instrumentals, mm. you know, when you, when you hear the album version and it goes into the piano break, duh, 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 yes, and it's just yeah. the piano and the, and the, and the finger clicking, you can still hear a bit of a beat in the background. Like they've muted the beat, right? Yeah. yeah. You can still hear a beat going, boom, boom, dish, boom, dish, boom. listen to the instrumental version. They don't mute that part. It's, they leave the whole drum beat in there and it's live oh, drumming. Okay. Does the instrumental version go straight into like the worst interlude in the world that you can? That, um, <laughs> because yeah, that, that is interlude. the worst. You've got this <laughs> glorious song that is top five dinner yeah. track for me, and then it just goes into. So, are they playing I dice? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that like, always threw me off. Whose idea was that? And, and it's like, like when you... And then they're running exactly. away. It really was... It's jarring. It's jarring as fuck, man. Really. It it's, it's just... No I, and good, I... <laughs> there's no good place to cut it. Do you know what I mean? If you're putting it in a mix or on a radio, you can't cut that. Like, it's too abrupt. Exactly. It, like, exactly. So which annoying. is why it's in the mix. It's so annoying. Why would you have this perfect song and then take literally the worst (laughs) interlude that you can do to to close it out? You know why? Tell me. Because I, I, after years of thinking about that, I'm like, you know what? You know what that whole thing's about? Because you gotta think twice. (laughs) You gotta think twice. That shit that they're doing there, that he had to think twice. He didn't think twice, and that shit went south. (laughs) Motherfuckers need to think twice. Before they start something nice, ooh, ooh. <laughs> what okay? a perfect, that's, that's, that's the, there, done. That's the moral <laughs> of the story. That's why that's there. That's at least that's uh, like the explanation I came up with myself. And when you said you wanted to close <laughs> with it, I thought, how am I going to cut it? Mm. Like that in, but I'm, I'm now, no. we're, we're, it's now a part of it. So I'm going to include the whole, we're going to put the whole no, thing in. No cutting. Please no do cutting. not cut it. It's I 100% And then you'll, you can match it up. <laughs> match it up with my impersonation it's almost spot on i guarantee you <laughs> all that oh, money you would be rolling in the that's a yes perfect, actually like that uh, yeah that's perfect you know, that guy yelling in the background <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it, it's, yeah. it's an amazing show obviously i've not got through all of it yet um but i wouldn't expect you to my man it's <laughs> but it's it's glorious and it's 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 a work of genius dude and couldn't be prouder Thanks, to, to be able to host this in in any capacity and for to break it down into subsequent week but uh i don't know i couldn't thank you enough for it for taking the time and letting us be a part of it and your confessions journeys mm. my man they're the happy stuff. to uh keep on keeping on and like i said there'll be more shows coming in the year at a regular pace so i'm actually Fantastic. already halfway through the rasan rasan patterson show Brilliant. That's next. Amazing. Sean Patterson, and then Jamiroquai comes after, then possibly Bardu to finish off the year, maybe. Wonderful. Yeah, we'll see how we go. Excellent, man. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. It's now, what, one in the morning? 105, but like I said, I've, yeah, I know. I've had my condensed milk and my tea. 
uh, I've still got plenty of like uh, music to make. I'm making original music in the wee hours now, which is crazy. And I'm eating beef jerky and I'm not going anywhere, man. You're not inconveniencing me. I'm inconveniencing you and the listeners. The viewers. Well, they're not viewers, but we'll, we'll, we'll clarify that at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh well you're the man dude thank you so much for your time and i hope we can connect no. again through this uh for anything else that would be awesome we shall you are also the man and Cheers, we are the dude. men from melbourne australia we now head to uh nigata japan to talk to the creator of raw select music and our dear friend sean sophia uh sean um as we said he uh, from a, a native of uh, chicago um but has spent the last Oh, he has told me about 10-ish years, I think, he's been living in Japan. Maybe it's, it might not have been that long, but he's been living in Japan. He, he, he discovered it shortly after college and uh, made it his uh, mission to, to head back there to, to spend his... Uh, to spend as much time as possible. And, uh, you know, he's he's embedded into the, the scene and the culture. He sends me pictures of, of beer festivals <laughs> that he's he's visiting and uh, just uh, yesterday i received a picture from a sake festival that he was uh he was uh, frequenting as well which is very cool uh sean is uh he's such a cool dude man like i we've had the opportunity to record three uh of these podcasts uh together i i, I love talking with with all of these guys with with everyone here it just i love talking music uh, with them we've had a really cool dealer conversation as well not as epic as the one we had with Fahe that you just heard but um we yeah he uh yeah I, I got I got I like Sean a lot he's uh he's of great value uh to what we're trying to uh achieve and uh to record an episode of these podcasts with him is always an absolute pleasure um he shared something and when I when you know when the idea of putting this show together this was the clip absolutely by far that i was gonna include because it was a pretty incredible it's a it's a fascinating incredible story um um, and we've spoken about so much stuff over the three episodes that we've managed to connect on Um, but he shared on the second time just before we were about to talk he shared a video with me on youtube about his family um you can look it up Uh, i'm gonna do my best to remember to put this in the in the bio for this episode alternatively this is a snippet which comes from the blue and green podcast episode 19 so if you find that the the uh the web link for youtube is included uh the title of the video is uh five star family larry sophia and um the uh this basically the description i'll read you the, the description very very quickly um it's as from detroit public tv and the talks about the sophia family emigrated to the u.s from lebanon and ended up with five sons serving in world war ii after being wounded twice P- private larry sophia contemplates the absurdity of war when he makes a rare connection with a german soldier I mean, this is obviously completely different to music, but it's um, this fascinating, fascinating story about all five of those of of of, of Larry and his brother, uh, Mr. Sophia, beg your pardon, and his brothers, uh, all went to fight World War Two, but they all came home. That's magic. That's that's something incredible. And um, you know, we spoke about it, and uh, he, I was so happy that he shared that, and uh, we had this conversation about it, and. Uh, 
uh, there's some music stuff at the end which we tagged on I just thought it was really fun because uh, it was he, uh, Sean tells us a couple of really cool stories one involving Mark the Clive Lowe and I thought it'd be fun to include that one on as well but I was really happy that um, Sean kind of shared this story again I'd urge anyone uh, to to look up the video um, uh, because it's it's yeah it's it's just it's an incredible watch it's only a few minutes i think it's about five-ish minutes long let me just check i've got it open um yeah it's five minutes and 12 seconds long so uh it's it's it yeah it's very very special so um yeah uh thank you very much sean for sharing it dude and i look forward to more episodes with uh uh with yourself in um in uh in 2020 here we go sean sophia in niigata japan but from I'm mindful of time, there's there's something else I was desperate to talk to you about. So from one hero to an to another, oh. I, I was oh, thrilled. Okay. You are ask I, me about this. I am, I am. I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was really excited about it. Um, you, uh, I'll let you set this up if I may. You, you earlier today, you sent this amazing uh, uh, video about being a part of of the five star family and, and yes. your your uncle. Uh, may I ask you to, to sort of summarize the, the video that you sent? A lot of it was me getting, when I've had that much to drink, I get fairly sentimental sometimes. Oh, wow, okay. And uh, one, I love that video. I, I love it's a beautiful hearing video, yeah. the, those, uh, I love hearing those uh, old, sto- old stories. My grandfather used to talk about his time in uh, World War II as well. And honestly, I'm not entirely sure why I sent that to you, but I, it was just, uh, I was going back and watching that video that my, uh, one of my cousins had brought to my attention. And I just, I love his perspective on things. Mm. Just the, especially one of the things that he talked about was the, uh, the four hour truce between him and, uh, yeah. His, his side and the German the German side, and during that four hour truce, uh, giving both sides a chance to gather their wounded and gather their deceased, and then looking at each other and trying to find some common ground, and then the four hour truce is over, and they're back to shooting at each other, it's and crazy, him thinking, and him coming to the conclusion is like this is asinine. Why are we doing this? It's crazy. It was a it was a beautiful video. I watched it a couple of times. I showed it to my wife as well. Mm. Um, you, I can't think of the the immense pride you must feel. So there's, it was your great uncle and his four brothers. The, you had five. Yes. That, hence the the title of five star family. That all went went off to to fight, but all came back. Yeah, that I gosh. yeah I couldn't. I just remember I just remembered that as well too. That's yes. I, the, my, my other favorite story that Larry tells in, in that, and I actually, if memory serves me right, I, I'd have to ask, I'd have to double check with my dad on this, but I'm pretty sure Larry is the only one who's still alive to this day. My my grand my uh, my grandfather, who's actually in that in that picture, I think he's watching one of his brothers getting fed by his uh, by his mother. When they when they're all at home, mm. um, I'm pretty sure Larry. I'm pretty sure Larry is the one that uh, is still alive, and if I remember correctly, he's still running a bar in Detroit. 
Wow. He's got to be close. He was a, pr- a principal as well, right? Yeah. Yep. He was a uh, princi- principal as well. When was the last time you saw him? My dad's 40th birthday. So it's about 20 years ago. Oh, my gosh. Can't, can't imagine how old he's got to be right now. But I'm pretty sure he was my grandfather's. No, no, I'm, I take that back. He wouldn't be my great uncle. He'd just be my uncle because he was my uh, grandfather's brother. And I'm pretty sure he was one of the younger brothers because my grandfather came from a family of 12, if memory serves me right. Right. So, and I think Larry was one of the uh, the younger brothers, but I'd have I'd have to double check because it's hard to keep these large families all, right. all in order. Both my mother and father come from very large families. My mom is the oldest of seven. My dad is the youngest wow. of six. There's wow. a whole lot of relatives in, in, in mixed in between that, and it's hard to keep track of them. And you're, I didn't know you, you're, 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 you're Lebanese or both your parents? Yes, uh, my, as well. my father's side, my, right. my father's side. So it was funny because I kind of wanted to bring this up when uh, we did the first interview. Mm. You were talking to uh, Le Mali, Le Mali. I think um, I yeah, yeah, Mali, yeah. yeah, yeah. So she was talking about having a bit of a identity crisis in one of her yes. podcasts. And yeah. that has been my existence growing up because albeit Lebanese is the most dominant of all of my heritage, the rest, I am a complete and total mutt. Lebanese is the highest percentage and everything else is a little bit of everything. So where, where is your mother from? My mother is, uh, her family's from all over the place. Right. Uh, that, that's like from my father's side, it's fairly easy to follow my sort of genealogy because it's Lebanese plus a lot of European. But when it comes to my mother's side, I there, there's so much mixed heritage in there that it's impossible to keep track of. Much like everybody you... else in the U.S., I have like a small percentage of Native American blood, probably still more than Elizabeth Warren. Take it. <laughs> but was she on point zero two percent or something? I can't remember. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> but that that meme that meme uh, amused me to no end. Uh, no. Bless her. You could see what she was trying to do. But uh, oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I know exactly what she was trying to do, and it fell flat <laughs> on her yeah. face. And that. Um, that amused me to no end. How do you kind of wear the the, the, the tag of being a sort of a, 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 a result of so many different kind of cultures? And Well, because uh, I, I feel like most people really don't know that much about uh, Lebanon. I always, I, I try as much as possible to put that, if I have to put one heritage before another, I put Leban- Lebanese at the front of everything. Mm. So I enjoy a lot of Lebanese food. I try from time to time to look up Lebanese history and really try. Way, doesn't it? Yeah, you gravitate towards one sort of from 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 sort of where your parents are from. There's always like for me, I, I tend to say I'm Greek mm-hmm. um, because of you know it's my parents were 
were were, were mixed. My uh, but my my mum's Greek Cypriot, and that was that's kind of the one I've I've gravitated towards the most. Do you have really good food? Yeah, we do. As do you, my friend. Oh yes. Japanese, well, and on. that's the funny thing in that area of of uh like the Middle East and the Mediterranean, like Lebanese food and uh, Greek food are actually pretty similar. They are. I mean, very, everything yeah. basically just drowning in olive oil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful stuff. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. There's every time that I go back to, uh, every time that I go back to the States, Near my dad's, uh, near my dad's house, there's a place called uh, Aladdin's Pita that makes <laughs> their makes their own uh, fresh hummus, and uh, I think that I think it's called kimaj, which is like a flatter but more sturdy version of pita bread. Right. Then uh, it's the the hummus is. Anybody who's ever told you that hummus is supposed to be health food is lying to you because they've never had real hummus. Real hummus is swimming in olive oil. Right. And yeah, it's glorious. It's glorious. <laughs> yeah, it's the best food. It really is. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Greek food fan. I'm a big fan of uh, Lebanese and uh, Moroccan as well. I, yeah, I could just sit at a table for hours eating uh, lamb and olive oil. <laughs> yeah, how can you go wrong? I know, it's a, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's wonderful, yeah. I can't, yeah, no, but uh, regarding the the uh, the video you sent and the sort of the the kind of introduction to your family in that respect. I, I was really happy you sent it. I, I kind of think the, the pride you and your, your, your family must feel about, about having that distinction. It's incredible. So I, I think it's pretty easy to sort of take it and take it for granted, but yeah, it's a video mm. that I, I like going back to. And I actually also like sharing with people because it's like, I, I do sort of take a little bit of pride in knowing that this is where uh, some of my family heritage comes from. Mm. Oh, I'm thrilled you sent it. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm I'm glad you appreciated it. it. Yeah, as I said, I watched it a couple of times. I said, my wife watched it. She, uh, yeah, she was really taken back by it as well. So we're really happy that you sent it. Um, I'm mindful of how much time I've taken of your of your Sunday morning. No, not so, at all. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah, actually I'm starting all. to wake up now, so. <laughs> Are you starting? <laughs> <laughs> as soon as that coffee's done, we need to hit that Japanese beer again. <laughs> yep, yep. No, no I, um, I, think I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty sober. The problem is now I'm extremely jittery because I polished off basically <laughs> a pot of coffee <laughs> during the uh, duration of this conversation. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, well, I want to thank you for your time, dude. It's I've really enjoyed it, and I really hope we'll uh, have the opportunity to do it again in a couple of months. I yeah, really I hope, hope to do it in a better better state than I did it this time around. But yeah, no, I really appreciate the conversation. I always love talking to you. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. I really appreciate that. So, the only thing left is your is your final song pick to take us home. Yes, and the song that I chose today because I figured. Living in Japan, one of the things that I don't do enough and I feel sort of like I'm neglecting my duties is sharing enough Japanese music. 
So I decided to go with uh, Consano's song from his new album, Ghost Notes. The name of the track is Sit at the Piano. And what I, 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 when I first listened to this track, one of the things that really sticks out to me is it sounds a lot like what Kiefer's doing right now. Are you, right. you, are you familiar with Kiefer's music? I all? am, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the first thing that struck me about that track is, wow, Consano is doing Kiefer's music better than he is. Oh, gosh. <laughs> because I felt this, like... By the way. <laughs> the, I'm sure he is. Kiefer, I love your music, by the way. But I, there, there's, there's a certain elegance. There's a certain... Uh, there's something more the melody stands out more to me the drums hit harder and work better for me and i just there there's something about the track that just sort of uh it hits me emotionally as well and i wanted to try to get more uh i've always wanted to try to get more japanese music into DJ sets and talk about it more on my YouTube channel. And I figured this Consano track sort of fits in perfectly with uh, the sort of music that I play on my radio show, as well as I think a lot of the music that the people who listen to Blue and Green Radio would find interesting. Brilliant. Thanks. I look forward to checking the record out. You've given such a high recommendation. Yeah, it's like your favorite definitely. record of the year, so... But definitely, Thank you. Def- definitely mm. give that Mark to Clive Lowe a listen as well. Oh, absolutely. That one's yeah, right yeah. up your alley. Oh, yeah, I, I think it would be. I, and I, you know, I love him. So uh, he's, you know, he's, his output's flawless. So, yeah, it, it's on the list. It really is. So I hope to get it fairly soon. Yeah, I, mean, I really, so, yeah. I really butchered this opportunity. Uh, so a while ago, I, uh, when I posted a uh, blog post about one of Mark DeClive Lowe's tracks from that album, he, uh, re- he had reposted it. And I okay. sent him a uh, private message on Instagram and then saying, oh, thank you for the repost. And he said, thank you for writing, uh, write- thank you for writing the post. I thought that was pretty cool in and of itself. And he is apparently, as of next month, starting a residency in Japan doing shows Hmm. and I'd sent him something along the lines of, man, someone's fucking up on my end. Why aren't you doing shows in Niigata? And he had sent me a message is like, Hey, uh, can I get your, uh, your info in terms of like trying to set up an event to get Mark to Clive Lowe to play in Niigata. And I took a week to get back to him because I didn't know what to say. (laughs) And then I sent him a message back in, uh, I sent him a message back thinking, uh, saying like, Hey, uh, what, what information are you looking for? And he never got back to me. Oh no. I'm so disappointed about that. I, it it was one of those things where I knew I needed to follow up on it way faster than I did, but I was just sort of, uh, dumb, dumbstruck that I was talking to this guy. Oh, I know. Yeah. Topic that actually I wouldn't mind getting into next time. I can tell you about, uh, all the different, people that I've met, DJed with, and talked to in my time oh, in Japan. Yeah. Brilliant. We're off to a good start. We'll have to arrange something very soon then. I look forward to that. All right. Sounds good. But 
Yeah, I know you're, I got to be mindful of your time as well, because we're probably getting into uh, the witching hour for you. It is a little bit, but that's no, that I'm okay, I'm okay. But uh, um, I look forward to, to talking to you again. I want to thank you again for your time uh, today and for letting us, uh, most importantly, be a part of your Raw Select journey. We're so uh, thrilled and proud to host any any of your amazing shows. So we're, we're really grateful. So thanks very much, dude. Oh, thank you very much. And, and I'm really, like as I think I said last time, I really appreciate putting my putting my show out there for uh, people to listen to now we venture over to san jose sunny san jose california to talk to our dear friend ronda um also known as dj ronnie ron the creator of our ride the vibe uh, exclusive which airs on a mondays monday evenings on blue and green radio uh ronda is currently i checked we have recorded nine podcast episodes of the two of us uh, predominantly hanging out and talking music and uh, there are a few things I enjoy about I enjoy more um, these podcasts in general I, I love talking to music and hanging out with like-minded people uh, but Ronda and I really kind of stumbled onto something with with any show that we've we've been managed we've been able to sort of record together I think we're quite like-minded in um, our unwavering Prince fandom and uh, we've had some some great episodes including our Prince conversation which is something I've wanted to put on like a podcast kind of thing for such a long time and I believe it was episode 11 and I'd urge anyone to check that one out. We go like a, an hour and 15 minutes, I think that episode is. Uh, and uh, we just had a great Prince boom, like huge conversation. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But that's not where I'm picking um, a snippet from today. Um, I think further to our, further to my sort of note at, at the beginning about identity, I think the Sean piece kind of exemplifies that because it is it is about, it's his identity again, I think his his um, piece that we, we discussed and also um, as relates to the Ronda episode we I have dipped into episode uh, ooh, I've gone blank uh, 23 it will come to me in a moment 23 it is 23 I'm sorry I uh, dipped into 23 and the title of that conversation was called This is America uh, we had the idea of having a conversation about protest music and um, like over the years but finding a particular poignancy in um, in this year or due to events in the UK and the US in the past few uh, years um, of none of which I would imagine require explaining but um, we kind of had a I knew, I think, where the first part of the conversation would go, which would primarily be us talking about examples of songs. But I don't think I knew where it would go, even though I knew where it would go was somewhat inevitable. And I think back at this episode, and this is a powerful episode, it, it genuinely is. And um, for reasons, I'm going to play the the remaining about 15, or a little less than that, I think, minutes of the conversation. I, I would urge anyone to go back and, and check it out because it's, it's an important... Uh, episode I think and um, it really discusses important themes and how disillusioned I think a lot of people can feel in the States and in the UK Um, but I thought Rhonda was so eloquent and sincere in the things that she said I'm kind of I I, and I kind of doubt and I'm not sure I really I was the best 
in that conversation you know I, I listened back to it and I, I, I don't think I really did justice to what she brought to it and uh, yeah maybe it's something we can revisit and I can try and, and do better but uh, I'm going to let this uh, conversation uh, go right now this is us discussing uh, in theory protest music which was the, the starting off point but uh, it, it, yeah it goes where it goes and I think it went somewhere special um, and important so here we go to uh, San Jose California ladies and gentlemen uh, it's Rhonda again we're going back to the states for a moment but which I, uh-huh. again I think it's still a, a point over here as well but you know uh, I imagine you're familiar with Seth Myers, who I'm a real fan of yes. he uh, on his late night like he is like uber liberal he is incredibly liberal um, and, and a great voice uh, for so many uh, so many others and um, his show is, is a great indictment of, uh, of, of uh, diversity etc and mm-hmm. he you know he's I guess he's quite famed on his show for really attacking Donald Trump and he said something that really resonated with me I think it was pretty much the first show he did after Donald Trump's appointment and he had said he was upset I think he was nearly in tears um, at one point when he was summarizing what this means for America and he had said um, what we have to come to terms with is this level of frustration that we feel now is probably how others in this country have been feeling over the past say eight years you know and I you know obviously I don't agree with that level of frustration for example but I remember thinking that's that's the other side of it. And I kind of thought, wow, like I, I, I would never have, I don't know how to say it, but I wouldn't have considered that. But I thought that was quite an, an interesting point that it's, I guess it's, it has changed now. And, you know, and me, I know Seth Myers yourself, and we would say that this result, etc., was wrong. But while people now say it's right, they obviously had years now where they themselves weren't, weren't happy with the way things were for whatever those reasons were, you know? And I, I thought it was an interesting perspective well, on, on sort um, of the other side, if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, if they're just going to talk about the Obama years, then they're doing themselves a disservice, but okay. Um, mm, no, no, I, yeah, I, I agree. You know what I'm saying? So, but I mean, but, but I did touch upon that. I mean, there are people suffering in this country and if, um, and so this is where you're getting the backlash from immigrants and, and giving things to other people when when I'm struggling. See, that that's what happens, right? When you don't take care of your own house, right? You, you pick over the fence at somebody else's, what they're doing, not doing, and you're not taking care of your own, right? You create this. When people feel uh, threatened by the other, um, it builds this hostility. Um, I don't want to limit it to eight years. So that's why I'm, that's my only concern about that mm. specific time. Right. Frame. Um, because it was happening before then. Right. Um, it's just a matter of when you, when it hits you. See, that's what I was saying. If America doesn't deal with it's ugly at some point, it's going to have to. So you thought it was okay until it touched your life. Now you're upset. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, well, hello, it's, it's, you know, 400 years, get in line. So, you know, there's, you (laughs) know, and then native natives are like, well, this was my land completely. And it was taken from me. Right. So, I mean, 
America has a lot to deal with. It just refuses to do so. Um, but at some point, if it doesn't, I'm like this, this, um, what's, what's really sad is that if America really could take care of its citizenry, you're talking about a real live melting pot. When you look at the world, right? There are some countries that have different cultures, but I mean, we really do. And it's really like, even in my area is an example of that. Hmm. And that's the best of what humanity can do when people learn how to live with each other. We do have different cultural experiences, but, but internally we're, you, you got your, the blood, your blood is the same color as my blood. You want to raise your children and have them have a great education. You want them to be able to grow up and be whatever they want to be and be great citizens to the world and to the, you know, and to themselves. There's certain things you want to have clean water, right? You don't want to have feces coming up out of your backyard. I mean, America is, we're doing, we're having third world problems in this country because we won't invest in our infrastructure and that would create jobs, which would help a lot of these people's frustrations when they take economics out of a community and now you're struggling and can't feed yourself. This is what I'm saying. You're losing your humanity. And and what is it that we can we have to have GoFundMe to take care of someone because our country doesn't consider giving health care to people, their fellow citizens. Oh, that's not a right. Well you have to pay for it anyway. Right. But if I'm if I'm selling you insurance that, that my my business is going to be affected because I'm you know, I won't need that middleman if I had middle, you know, Medicare for all. Right. It's it's just some of our priorities are just warped. And that's what I'm talking about. I have to do my own soul searching. Right. So that I can you know, learn, continue to be a good guest on this planet. Um, you know, because in the bigger picture, the world existed before me. The world will exist after me. It's about what I do while I'm here, right? And uh, I just, I see, I've already been seeing the fabric of this country come apart. It's it's up to us to decide what we're going to do about stopping that and changing the trajectory. Um, when 9-11 happened, um the world essentially stopped, right? Because it happened here. Um, we had an opportunity at that point to to go to to go for the better and, and use it to really join the country, join the planet, because everybody was waiting to see what we were going to do. And they let us act like a little a little baby throwing a tantrum. They let us go to war, and we've been at war ever since, right? We're bombing countries. We're killing people. This is, you know what I'm saying? This is, how do you, how do you turn this off? How do you go back and look at something better? Right? I mean, this, we're talking mm. about your, ch I don't have children. I have nieces and nephews, but you have children. This is, this is their world. What are we doing? Right? Do we think this is mm. really okay? I hope not. But I, but then I look at the actions that people are doing and I'm, I don't know. So right now I can, I can agree with the F you Donald Trump because, <laughs> <laughs> because what he's doing is giving voice to us not being human to each other. And I, I'm pissed off about that part. Yeah, yeah. I'm done. 
I'll pass it back to I'm you. I'm sorry. I was surprised <laughs> I this I conversation answered. could only have gone one way, couldn't it? <laughs> no. Well, no, no. I mean, it, but that's what protest songs are about, right? If you, yeah. Um, that's what you, you know, we're talking about these songs. I didn't make the song, I just played it. So, you know, um, yeah. but it's the effects of where we're going right now. It's, it's not pretty if we, and, and I look at the election cycle, I'm looking at the Democrats and I'm like, wow, if you guys don't get in touch with um, the citizen, the citizens of this country, we're going to have him for another four years. And that he's just going to be more emboldened and the people who vote for him are just going to be more emboldened. Right. So it's going to get uglier before it gets better. And um, people forget that only half of the electoral, I mean, the, the people who could vote in 2016, only half of our population voted. So that means only wow. 25% of our voting population put Donald Trump in office. So that means three quarters of our voting population are out there. And it's up to the Democrats to, to put forth a candidate that resonates with those three quarters. Otherwise, he's, he's you know, I, uh, we'll have, we'll, ha we'll be able to have another podcast and, and, you know, <laughs> on this yeah. subject. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, trade wars and because <laughs> he just hit the market on Friday with his tariffs with, with China and Europe. I'm like in Mexico. I'm like, okay, Canada, you know, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Um, it, well, actually, this was more freeing for me. I was, I didn't know where we were going to go with this conversation. So no, I, I know we haven't really talked <laughs> talk about, I know we talked about a few songs that are really critical and I'm, I'm glad that the artist, especially Childish Gambino, cause you're right. Visually, um, what he did in that video was, you know, amazing. I, and I'm, I'm really grateful that people are speaking and giving voice. So I don't want us to, you know, I'm going to go off on this political tirade and, and not give attention to those and, and thank them for um, voicing their opinions and their thoughts mm -hmm. and, and adding to our soundtrack. Because that's essentially what this is. It's like you have a soundtrack for this, right? At first I was like, I, I, I remember like the, the Curtis Mayfields and, you know, having that soundtrack, James Brown. Right. That that was our soundtrack in the 60s. And and um, so it's I'm glad we still have that, that 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 um, avenue is still available to us to use art in a way to provoke people. So I think I think good art should provoke. Those yeah, I mean, you talk about that kind of classic era of soul. I mean, it's it's sort of shocking that. 50 60 years ago that song was about that time period are still frighteningly relevant today oh yeah and that mm -hmm. that's that's you know I, I i think you know like even marvin Gaye's just the question of what's going on i feel like right. in a really sad way we're, we're just destined to continually ask that question which is horrific <laughs> in its own way yeah um well you put greed before humanity, right? I mean, when is enough enough? I don't know. I really don't know. You know, I have clean water. I get to be grateful that I have clean water coming out of my tap, <laughs> you know, and 
I mean, these are basic things, right? That, you know, other people don't have. It's, uh, yeah, and that, that that was the other reason why. I mean, the eight years, I'm like, no, like, just like what you said, what what Marvin Gaye wrote, that was more than eight years ago. So mm-hmm. that, that pain is still there. Th- those those issues are still there. We We really need to, you know, look in the mirror and, and see what we're projecting out, right? I, I really don't want it to get worse before it gets better. I really don't. I have a vote. I, I will use it. I'll tell you that. Um, because that that's, that's you know, one of the things I can do. I can make mixes that, you know, when my brain is not out partying and having fun with the summer, you know, I can I can put things together in an interesting way, and I hope that it provokes people, right? You know, um, together we rise. That was one of the things when I was really, when I was more into, you know, I was, you know, that was my response, the, one of the mixes I put together so I could speak to this because at that moment it was going through my head, how was I going to address this? What was I going to say? And I found, you know, different artists that allowed me to put it together. Um because we we have to reach for something bigger and better. That's that's kind of where I'm I'm looking at it. Um, yeah. And for our final visit on our sort of compilation show today, we are going to finish where we began. We're going to revisit uh, Lamoni from our very first episode, and uh, I thought that was a great way to end it. We're gonna I'm gonna play sort of the bulk of that conversation, not the entire conversation, but. Uh, yeah, we're gonna play the bulk of it. It was. Um, I'm really happy that Molly was the first person that we spoke to for this. It set, I think, the tone off very, very well. Um, it was such a well-received episode, and um, it was. Yeah, I being able to actually talk to her after listening to her shows for for as long as I had been. Um, she's so engaging. She's mastered the art of of radio. She exemplifies how radio how powerful the medium uh, radio actually is and I, I think sort of on a conscious level and subconscious level um, the way she approached her shows sort of birthed our Four Corners series which is a show kind of in ways an extension of this it was another way for me to want to <laughs> share the limelight of blue and green radio presenters because i'm in awe of them all and i adore them all and um being able to so so sorry four corners is a show that we started it's a monthly show which airs on the, now on the first monday of every month and it is a show that um we pick a one word theme and we each take 30 minutes from or, or from our different parts of the world uh to explore that theme through music and there's no rules it's play whatever you want talk if you want to talk if you don't want to talk that's cool too and um i think that as i said the approach that molly has to her show is the super sonido show uh, i think it had a huge impact on that being the concept that we went with for four corners um so at the time of this recording we've recorded four episodes of that exploring the theme of time um hope time hope need 
and fear there you go um we have an episode that's going to come out at the beginning of february 2020 uh called joy which molly has the chosen herself which is really exciting and um yeah i couldn't be happier with that and um yeah and molly i think um just to hear her talk about the concept of her shows as you will do momentarily um because we're taking a snippet from episode one um again that theme of identity is prevalent in that and it's again i don't know but each of the snippets i've included uh for these for this show have all instantly been about identity i think um it's just an interesting concept i don't know i think i feel like with these podcasts there's a question i'm trying to answer but i don't really know what the question is and um i don't know it's its own adventure i think but uh um so yeah i mean they're fun as hell and uh i i don't know if the fact that i've put identity as a as a binding thing for the snippets that I've used for today's episode is a reflection on me, them, or us, but either way, I'm, I'm happy we're in a space where we all found each other, so to speak. Uh, anyway, so we're going to visit uh, Lamoli right now in Denver, Colorado, and this is a good chunk, not all of it by any means, but a good chunk of the first conversation we ever had and the first conversation ever showcased on Blue and Green Radio. So uh, thank you to uh, the Blue and Green Radio presenters for well, just everything for for this sh- for for being a part of this station for the shows for these podcasts and if you've yet to be on this uh and this series blue and green radio presenters uh i'm coming for you I'm coming <laughs> with the microphone in hand i'm coming uh thank you so much for tuning in i really hope you've enjoyed this um and we're going to kick off 2020 with a, sh- a similar themed show uh showcasing some pieces of of dialogue from the from the artists that we've been really fortunate enough to spend time with as well so thanks very much for tuning in hope you enjoyed this uh till next time friends bye for anyone that's never heard it could i ask you to like to introduce people to the super sonido show yeah so um the super sonido show is really just uh sort of an exploration of identity i guess um it's for anybody who is sort of questioning who they are. It's obviously uses Latin, Latinx music, right? But um, I think it's still pretty universal. So what we do is um, I sort of explore like music that combines uh, sort of more foundational sounds uh, of Latinx music, like folklore, uh, salsa, cumbia, music that sort of forms the foundation of the culture. And then um how people are working to combine that with more modern techniques, like specifically electronica, but also there's punk, there's rock and roll, there's R&B. Um, and so the music is sort of that bridge that we as uh, the children of, you know, of border crossers, of people who's, who the border cross them, um, people who are just sort of displaced from their homeland in one way or another we are the same bridge that the music i play is so sort of figuring out who we are and and where we belong um, and the music is sort of there to guide us or at least join us how did see i feel like i'm jumping straight in now but i'm kind of fascinated by the connection of those two things in terms of the search for like identity i really am we jump we should be a 10 minute question uh, but <laughs> but like i feel like the, the, the search for like identity is 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 one thing but then how 
at what point did it become linked to music? Are these two, did, did, does that make sense in terms of, yeah. did one inform the other? How did they become the answer to each other? Um, yeah, I don't, it's just sort of the way my life unfolded, I guess. Like, this is like really ultra personal because it's, that's what I'm doing. Like, I'm trying to figure out who I am and where I fit. Um, I've never really known because I grew up with a uh, Chicano father and a mother who's like from white Kansas, like, um, you know, super Midwestern. And um, just the two identities were so kind of like, you know, you kind of had to pick one and, and I never felt really felt at home in either of them. And so trying to find my own way, um, like one day, I just discovered music like this. It actually was Bomba Estereo. And they combined these sort of traditional elements with very modern music. And I was like, oh, my God, that's me in sound. And so I just sort of like gobbled up all of it. And that's how the idea came is just sort of mirroring my own journey. And I feel like uh, I'm not the only one who's sort of trying to figure out their place in the world because they belong to two different two different worlds. So that's the, I mean, that's that's me as well. Which is, I guess that that might be why I kind of click with your show as much as I do because, like, my parents are of very different backgrounds. My mother's Greek Cypriot. My father mm. was born in India to Turkish and Iranian parents, uh, my, and neither one instilled any part of their culture. Yep. yep. And they divorced when I was when I when me and my brother were eight years old, and it's like you go to family functions on each side, and you don't speak the language, you don't know what's happening religious wise, you're not really, you're just almost this ghost at the, at these functions yeah. where no one, it was like you should do this and you should do that, you should know this, you should know that, and you think yeah, yeah I should, but, and that's yeah that's pro- I don't know, it's incredible the, the the sort of the connection you made to music as a, as a way to sort of help guide you. towards that kind of those answers it just felt like um it gave me space to exist in a way like it's like these musicians are sort of creating their own their own space within music they're not of either genre right and um so it was like oh okay they they're on the same journey as i am how do i combine this part of myself with this part of myself and I don't know. It just, it was very validating to find music that sort of mirrored all the things I felt like I was. And it is weird because its identity is so personal and music is shared with everyone. But I think that's kind of the great thing is that actually we're sort of all on these journeys, whether you know exactly where your family is and you're steeped in the traditions or not, somehow you're removed from some part of, of that experience of your history or whatever. And so... Have you explored the Kansas music scene as well? <laughs> um, not as extensively, no. <laughs> I don't know anything about Kansas music. Like, is there any famous musicians that I'm sure there are? Country, I'm I sure guess. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know. Um, so when when did you start? Because obviously, I mean, you've been doing like Super Sonido Sunday mm-hmm. on SoundCloud for for. A couple of years? More than that? Yeah, about two years. Um, I just always wanted a radio show and actually made the podcast to sort of like flirt with a local radio station. Like, hey, check it out. Um, 
And I just was like, you know what? Whatever. If the trying to get on the radio station works or doesn't, like, I'm enjoying this. So I'm just going to keep doing it. I only plan to do like three or four episodes, but it just oh, really? felt really good. So I continued with it. Yeah. Gosh, that adds. That's excellent. I mean, I I remember when I sort of stumbled onto your SoundCloud page, I guess, well over a year ago. And I Mm -hmm. was, I spent a long afternoon just listening to, I don't know how far back I ended up going, um, but quite far back and just listening to all this stuff and just thinking, you know, like these are are as professional as I, as I've, (laughs) as as you can get. I didn't, I was, I was confused. I wasn't, no, I'm, thank you. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a stunning show. It's a stunning concept of a show and it. it, It's, it's very, yeah, it's very inspiring show. Thank you. It's it's kind of, yeah, I know it's awesome that you, you continued, obviously. I know you, you tried to, like you said, you thought you'd only do a few episodes, but, Mm -hmm. um, um, the fact that you kept going, what, what made you keep going? It just felt really good. And like, I didn't know necessarily what was going to happen with this radio station. I did end up getting a show with them, but that was years later. And I was like, well, I don't want to wait to make my dream come true, which is basically like connecting people to themselves. Like, I don't know. uh, I've been trying to figure out who I am and where I belong for so long. It's like so many people must also feel like this. And also, it was kind of cathartic for myself too, a bit like talking to a diary because I just sit on my living room floor and record. So it's like, I'm just sort of like writing in, yeah, writing in my journal. And so it just felt really good to... um, and it sort of hit all the boxes for me. It's music, which I love. It's research, which I love. I'm a total academic at heart. Um, and so, and then it's like me, which I love. So I get to sort of do all of it. So how do you go about discovering new music? Um, I just sort of scour the widest reaches of the internet. I read all the blogs, <laughs> all the, I literally like, I uh, use this like online it's sort of like, I don't know, not Spotify. It's like iTunes, but online. And you can find like indie music. And I'll just dig through everything, not really knowing what I'm looking for. Um, but knowing like, I feel like when I hear something I like, I'm like, okay, well, whatever this is, let's just go with it. Um, but yeah, I just spend a lot of time on the internet. You're obviously you're super knowledgeable about what you play. So it's not just you're, you're finding it. You, like you said, you're an academic, so you're researching the the people and the artists as well. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, awesome when, because it, no, go, go ahead, ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, because it's, it's sort of like, the important part for me is like the journey of the artist also, like why do they choose to do this music? What does this say? Or what can this teach me or somebody else about um, this whole search for self or whatever, right? So learning about the process or the thought behind or who the person is, uh, I think, can also serve as like some guideposts yeah there's it's it's all i mean i've I've never actually heard of cumbia before your show which i I feel is crazy i mean considering it the 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 expanse of it all i mean and and it's funny because i get i kind of geek out when i when you play someone i actually know and it's like oh i know that person (laughs) like you played them not a few months ago you had uh, something by quantic and uh, nidia Uh, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly. I'm so sorry. Uh, Nidia Gungora. 
That's pretty Gongora, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Gongora, yeah oh, excellent. Yes, and I thought I have that. I know that. And that was very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> but um, so yeah, and like they, um, there's a Brownswood recording artist as well from a UK label called. Um, I'm not going to pronounce this one correctly, but Dami Adusena. Oh yeah, see, I don't even know if I cr- pronounce it correctly either. Uh, I say Dami <laughs> Adusena, but. <laughs> It sounds sure. way better than my one. <laughs> um, but no, I'm a huge fan of her. And I, yeah. I caught when you played something from her and I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is excellent. That's so cool. No, that's, and that's what's so great about music is like, it's so universal. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, you do get to hear somebody, you know, and then learn a little bit more about them maybe, but then it's also like new stuff. And oh my God, I don't know. I geek out on that kind of thing too. Do you have people around you that you can share music with? Because I have so few. <laughs> um so yeah my boyfriend is really uh he's like a musician at heart well in reality too but um so we listen to music i'll send him stuff or he'll go to shows with me i'll just drag him along and he loves it and so or he seems to he's a really good actor otherwise is there a lot of live music that you you get to go and see I do my best. So I'm a mother. I have a five-year-old and it's just us. Um, so it can be hard to get out, but as, as often as I can, I like to go to the shows just to see the, what I love about it is like, you know, you love a group or you love a song and then to watch the people who created that enjoy themselves while, while doing that. And it's like everybody's enjoying every, each other. And it just, I don't know. It's pretty great. Who's a particularly what 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 live? Because we actually did a show very recently about live music, so I mean, I'm always intrigued about someone that somebody else would have seen that just and then an experience that they would have had. Was there a, a sort of your one of your favorite gigs or someone you'd love to see? Or um, yeah, so I think Chicano Chicano Batman is always really good oh, because wow. they just really and they seem to just really enjoy themselves. Um, another one of my favorites is this group there out of LA. They're called Tropa Magica. Um, I talk about them all the time because I love them so much. They just, ha- they play music because it makes them feel good. And so it makes you feel good and it's danceable and it's psychedelic and it feels like you're just like on a ride with them. They really like are sort of trans, transport you, I guess. Uh, Chicano Batman, you've played them before. I, I looked up a song. Is it Friendship is a Small Boat yeah. or something like that? It, there's, there's a song that they have, and I, 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 I bought it. It was a Friendship is a... A <laughs> Small like Boat and a Storm, a small... I think, probably. Yes, that's yeah. the one. That's a lovely song. That's a it's lovely so song. good, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I know that you're, in terms of the music that you sort of listen to and play, I know, like... Uh, you have a major soft spot for Justin Bieber's Despacito and that informs a lot of, I don't know why you're laughing. Why are you laughing? I cannot tell I you that. how many, that's my child's favorite song. I've heard it really? 16 oh, no. million times in one day. <laughs> he listens to it and, nonstop. I'm like, what is this? And you've never, you've never played it on your show. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I think the world's gotten enough of that song. Yeah, they might. They might do. They might. Do, <laughs> do you like the, the sort of the Latin music that crosses over and uh, that song aside? Do you kind of take to sort of the sort of Latin music that takes over, sort of um, on, on a commercial aspect? That's hard because so many of my favorite artists started out like much more Indian now have gotten big, like Bombay Stereo and Chicano Batman. Um, 
And I don't know, like, I love it, but I just feel like sometimes, sometimes it's really easy to lose uh, what right. I, at least what made them sparkle at first. Um, but, but um, yeah, for the most part, I would say I sort of, I enjoy finding the treasure myself, you know? Um, right. So, yeah, less so mainstream. But if somebody I love goes mainstream, then it's great. But it is, it is a like, it's quite a personal thing, isn't it? When you have something like a, you found a song or an artist or an album and you, you, you love it and it's yours and no one mm-hmm. seems to know about it. But then you start reading like reviews in mainstream magazines and you're like, well, I'm happy for them, I guess. But yeah. now they're not mine anymore. <laughs> Which also feels so selfish because it's like, don't you want everybody to feel what you feel? But also I like, know. no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and also, yeah, screw their success. Uh-huh. It's, about, it's about your moment. Hello. It's your moment with them. That's gone now. It's finished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, no, that can always be. Yeah, it, it, it's it is great, obviously, but it, it is it's that connection that you have with it. Yeah, and that yeah. you don't want to lose it if it becomes diluted by everything else, right. by everyone else absorbing it. So yeah, uh, if so, we talked about sort of each person, uh, each each guest, sort of closing out with a with a song of just of their choosing anything that they wanted. Um, and what did, did you did you find time to pick one for us? Yeah, so um, well, I just felt like it had to be a song by Bomba Stereo because they're sort of the the um, I don't know what the word is, but they sort of lead the path in the kind of music that I play, where they really um, pay a lot of homage to Colombian folklore music and to uh, a type called champeta specifically, but then they also add a very modern take and they talk about sort of modern things. Um, And so it's super relatable, but also like you can like kind of feel your, your ancestors or your history in the music too. Uh, And so the song I picked is a song called Internacionales, which means internationals. So she is sort of giving a little bit of the identity quest I talked about where she's like, I belong to this country and this country and this country because of music. And so it's like music connects us and, and brings us all together, whether we uh, otherwise would be or not. Um, But also the song's super danceable so it's like hey have fun on the journey too i don't know so that's the song i picked
los originales, super internacionales Escuchamos tus consejos y aprendemos tus modales Y aunque somos diferentes, a la vez somos iguales En la misma situación, en distintos lugares